You know what the most dangerous thing in America is, right? Nigga with a library card. <laughs> This is the Most Dangerous Thing in America podcast, a show in which we read books by black authors, and they're talked about by a black author, and you can listen if you are black or not black, that is okay. Today, doing it right off the cuff, I didn't warm up, I didn't do any vocal exercises, just getting right into it, John Edgar Wideman's stories, Look For Me and I'll Be Gone, is the book, and yeah, let's see if we can do this clean, no Warm up, nothing. Just hopping right in. Uh, I was taking a hiatus for the last uh, month or so, and then I released episode uh, two weeks ago, and now this episode. So I'm back. I'm caught up. I'm excited. I'm recording this in an office, and outside there was a very loud car idling for 20 seconds, and now it's gone. So let's hope that that, um, that audio quality exists. All right, so let's just hop right into this. So John Edgar Wideman, I don't know how much you know about him, but uh, he was a basketball player in college for University of Penn, I believe. I believe it was that Ivy League school. And then he was a Rhodes Scholar, and uh, he was teammates with Bill Bradley, who eventually went on to play for the New York Knicks and then become a, a U.S. Senator. And probably the most remarkable thing, or the thing that I knew about him, but I don't know why I knew about it. I, I, I don't know why I knew about it. I just knew about it. But um, he, uh, his son murdered a fellow teenager on a summer camp trip in Arizona, like when he was like 13 or something. It's just crazy, a crazy story. So... That's all I knew about John Edgar Wideman, really, and I'd never read one of his books. And then I was here in uh, Southern California during Christmas, and they had to sell a Barnes & Noble on hardbacks. Hold on. Hardcover. I don't know why I said hardbacks. don't think that's a real thing. Uh, Anyway, bought this book, and um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through a few stories and talk about, you know, things that I – stories that I found interesting – themes that I thought, you know, should be talked about. But just right off the top, I'll go ahead and just say that um, I didn't like this book. And and I didn't like it at all. And I halfway through the book, I wrote this note down on my phone. So I'm going to read this note now and then kind of talk about, uh, you know, what it is to like something. And, and then I'll go into detail about the book itself. But uh, so I wrote down, uh, it's an interesting thing that can happen when you don't like a work of art. Uh, and you try to find an objective reason, like the subject matter is flawed or there's some problem with the prose, and really you just don't like the book, you know? And I I really think that's what it comes down to. I have no objective problem with this book. I can't, uh, you know, if somebody was like, oh, is that a good book? I would say I didn't like it rather than it's not a good book. And I I almost hate having that opinion. I'd almost rather just... um, be able to argue like this is objectively bad, even though nothing is objectively bad, but at least feel in my heart of hearts that it's objectively bad. I don't think this is objectively bad. I just don't like it. Uh, And so I'll read one more quote to sum up why I don't like it. And mainly I I would say it's because the book is atonal. Uh, Towards the end, there's a story where he's talking about a massage from a Chinese woman. I'm not going to lie. 
I I really did zone out during this uh, story. Like I, I actually don't remember what the story's about, but I did highlight a quote from the story. And so he does this thing where he writes each of his stories in like chunks, segments. And this is the beginning of a, uh, a chunk after a very long chunk. And then this chunk is very small and I'm only going to read the first part. The first part says, if I send what I've written so far to my editor, she would likely respond, can't figure out where this piece is going. No plot, no story yet. And I'm not trying to be a dick. I honestly think that she could probably say that about everything he's written in this book. I don't know. Uh, maybe everything he's written in his career. Every story feels meandering and plotless. Part of the problem is that I wanted a story, you know, and I didn't really get one. Instead, I get these meta stories that are really about him. So I'm reading about him, and you really have to be fascinated by him, and I'm just not fascinated by him, which is odd because I'm very much fascinated by the stories surrounding him. His son's story, fascinating. His brother, also fascinating. Uh, he, he went to prison for... Um, I think armed robbery and so it is fascinating that a man who excelled academically was a Rhodes Scholar and is clearly a successful author uh, is related to two people who have had not just like the misfortune of going to prison right like I we have people in our family who've uh, gone to prison I'm sure a lot of people got people uh, who have gone to prison um, especially if you're black because that's just the statistics you know, but to quote Michael Harriet in The Root, it's not the statistics that people are using. Okay, so I'm not by any means saying that every black person does or whatever, because they be they do use some crazy statistics when they talk about black people in jail. But of the people in jail, those people are disproportionately black. And so if you are black, you have a better chance of being related to a person who's gone to prison. All of that to say, even then, just because you know a person who went to prison doesn't mean you know a person who did what these people did in John Edgar Wideman's family. And uh, that's crazy. And yet he was still, you know, a Rhodes Scholar and a very well-known author. I mean, you know, I guess if your brother goes to jail, it doesn't necessarily derail your life, but your son uh, killing a person when he's a child himself uh, and for no, you know, conceivable real reason, that's fascinating. That being said, I'm just not fascinated by him. It's a very weird thing. All of the details are there. So I think it was mainly the writing. Is that enough hate? Did I hate for long enough? It's, we're six and a half minutes in. Is that uh, sufficient hate? Okay. Well, now that I've sufficiently hated on John Edgar Wideman, and, and the thing is too, you know, most times when I review a book on here, uh, talk about a book, I don't call this review, I'm talking about a book, just like two friends at a bar, you know, usually meet up with friends at a bar, talk about a book. Most of the time, I don't really get as negative as that, but I got negative here because he's super famous. He's like 80 something years old. Uh, he's published a billion books, so it doesn't matter what I say about John Edgar Wideman, right? No one's going to be like, oh my God, he buried John Edgar Wideman. That's it, don't buy his books anymore. And even if they did, it's a bit late for all of that. So, um, you know, that that's, that's part of the justified, I feel, negativity here. Uh, my computer is working overtime, so I hope that's not being picked up. Let's pause for a second. Yeah, I'm tripping. It's not that loud. Okay, so notable stories. So I did. There are some notable stories here. Okay, so um, 
The first one is on page 53. It is called Arizona, okay? And the reason this one is notable is that he writes a letter. I think this one was in The New Yorker. But he writes a letter to uh, Freddie Jackson, the, the singer, and he talks to him about um, his son. And then I don't, you know think he ever actually sent him the letter but if you get it published in the new yorker that's that's probably pretty good he probably saw it you know or maybe not maybe freddie jackson one doesn't have anybody in his life who reads the new yorker or two doesn't like constantly google himself like an egomaniac like hey man is anybody talking about me but yeah so he talks about arizona and this and and really the whole point of this piece is to like try to figure out what his son did and why now this event happened again i mean this john edgar wyman's like in his 80s so this event happened at i believe it was in the 60s so this is a long time and i guess his son has never allowed him to write about it so this was like his indirect way of writing about it and i guess see i'm trying to look for that objective reason again i remember early on reading this story going like um yeah, it's kind of lame that he's, like, talking about his son when it's his son's story and his son asked him not to talk about it. But, like, you know, I say that if my son killed another person, I'd probably talk about it, you know? And I might even write about it. I don't know, you know? How the hell can I judge? What what must that feel like? It must be torture. Six decades here of his kid in jail. So, um, again, with the objective thing, you know, sometimes it's better just to say, I just didn't like the book rather than try to shit on it for some abstract reason that you can't even formulate. Uh, the next thing is, the next story is Penn Station. And this one I liked, um, again, you know what? I don't want to lie. I didn't like it. Um, I, it's just notable because it's about his brother. And his brother's coming home from, from prison. And uh, it's on page 155 here. He goes and meets him in Penn Station. And, and it's... You know, interesting enough story, I guess. And then the, the the other one is BTM. So this is probably the most interesting story. Like, actually, you know, it, I was like, oh, maybe I'm getting to a piece where I really disagree with him. And it's called BTM because, let me see if I can get this right. I believe he was driving his car and saw a billboard that said BTM and stenciled letters, not quite filled in wasn't clear and then like a day or two later something's driving back and then it had become bl and black lives matter and the piece is a bit of a meditation on um what it is to be black and in a way you know it almost got into that thomas chatterton williams that's his name right um it almost got into that territory of it's like you know like uh what does it really mean to be black uh, aren't we all just kind of beige or something um, it's like, yeah, man, that's cool. You know, we all know what it means to be black. We know about intentional blackness. We know about the communities and we know what it means. Um, we know it intuitively and we know it academically, right? We can define it in like very rigorous terms, or we can just simply say, yes, we know what it means to be, uh, black in terms of skin color in the context of U.S. culture, right? It means to be of African descent with, um, at least some American black lineage, usually too, right? I mean, if you're just of African descent and you just got here, 
you might be uh, an, an African immigrant rather than black, right? You might not lump yourself in with that. But that's what we mean by black, right? Everybody knows that. And then we know black culture. So if a black person is both black and immersed in black culture, it's pretty safe to say that they're black. So we, we know what it means. We don't mean that they're the color of the chair I'm sitting on or the color of most black people's hair, right? That, that's not what we mean. We, we have the hair on top of our head that's darker than our skin most of the time. Um, we're not, uh, we're not confused by it. So I, I don't know. I'm just annoyed by that. Like, you know, I was, I was annoyed by it because it feels like, um, some real old Negro stuff, some real uncle stuff to not uncle Tom, your uncle, like at your house, uncle, you know, far, far, far from calling John Edgar White and uncle Tom. I mean, like your old uncle who's like, see what you, what you boys need to do, what you young fellas need to do. It felt like that a little bit. Um, the waxing poetic about what it means to be black and all of that. And if black lives matter, da, 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 and riffing on that. But I don't think that uh, Weidman is being in bad faith whatsoever. I think he's doing what we all have to do as black people in this country. And that is sit here and meditate on what is this condition? You know, what is it that they've done to us here? And that having had that done to us, do we in some ways continue to do to ourselves in most ways just continue to be the uh, product of systemic racism right now that's not to say that there aren't black people out there stubbing their toe themselves i already said that part but we can point 99.9 percent .9 of the fingers at the system uh, rather than the people so you know i'm always worried about that 99.9%, that 100% blame pie and how it gets allocated. And a piece like this makes you think like, oh, is he trying to say something against the BLM movement? Is he trying to say something against the younger generation? Is he trying to say something about um, the way upward mobility was working when he was a young man and how it's not working now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I really don't think he was trying, I think he was trying to do those things, but I don't think he was trying to do it in a disingenuous, uh, bad faith way. I think he was really trying to explore what it means. And I think that's something, I know that's something that I've done. I think that's something that every black person does uh, who wants to investigate their identity a little bit more. I mean, there's people of any race who would just be like, whatever, I don't, you know, I'm not thinking about that. I'm white, I'm black, I'm purple, whatever I am. They still are those things, but they're not going to sit there and like investigate it. Maybe they're just not a very introspective person. But if you're an introspective black person, when you really start to think about your identity, uh, it leads you down a certain existential rabbit hole because of the lack of clear, you know, um, it's not like you can tra trace a through you can't trace it or chase it. A through line that goes from uh, your current into our past, right? We can get there a little bit, but once we hit that middle passage, if we can even get that lucky, it gets pretty sketchy, you know? Because which West African country that didn't exist at the time did we come from? Which region of that country? Which tribe, etc.? After we got here, which peoples did we mix with, etc., etc.? So... It's just one of those tricky things when you're starting to be introspective about the black condition. And that's what I think this piece is. And so I didn't mind it ultimately.
And moving on from there, because, you know, I've talked enough about it. But, um, well, I'll just, I'll read one line from the, from the story to support my claim. He says, and anyway, who decides what a, what a color indicates or whether a life matters or not? Who assigns a color to my life? Why? Why black? Does black celebrate or condemn my color? Confusing, because of those who are attempting to convert people who doubt or outright deny the worth of my life, why would those friends who wish me well choose the word black to describe my life? The very same word that for centuries in America has embodied inequality and inferiority, a word employed to impose and enforce race. Are black lives different? Yes and no. The ambiguous reply of BLM. So, so there you go. He's waxing poetic about it. I don't think it's in bad faith because the next story is... Uh, I will say the story's flawed, though. I just flicked past another part of it. I don't want to keep talking about the story, but I just think it's an extremely flawed story. I think it's forgivable because, and also not a story, essay. I don't know why you call these things stories. They're essays. Um, I, I just think it's flawed. I don't think it really, I think it's the kind of thing that may have been better served as just being a personal piece. Uh, maybe not put it out in the world. It feels a little bit half-baked. I'm not saying it does any harm. Um, but I don't think it raises any interesting questions, honestly. I think they're kind of trite and cliche. Who came up with the term black? Why are we still using that term black? You know, we're going to use something, you know? The, the issue isn't that there's a term, right? If it wasn't black, if it was uh, malarkey, right? If that was the name of our race, right? Or if it was box or lamp. Guess what I'm doing? I'm naming things in the room. Uh, if it was these things, it, it wouldn't matter, what the name was, right? It's not about the name. So I guess if, you know, at changing it to a different color, if that would have made it better, or using the word colored or Negro, using the old terms that we used to use, would that have been better? I mean, it wasn't. It hasn't been. It doesn't matter. It's never the name. People who use other languages are still racist towards black people with their own language which is a different word. Bad piece. But anyway, the reason I don't hold it against him, the next, the next um, story is called George Floyd. And he's, you know, obviously, uh, well, not obviously, but he's sympathetic towards George Floyd. So that's a good sign. You get worried about it. You see a story called George Floyd, like, oh, man, I'm going to have to quit this book early after that BLM piece. And then... In general, when he's talking about the prison system and the amount of black people who are incarcerated, he's in general sympathetic. So I don't think he's, um, you know, operating in bad faith. So uh, I just think the piece was bad. But that was the piece that made me think the most. And then after that, you know, that was really it. Those, those three pieces from this book, I would say, and maybe the George Floyd piece which is very short, it's like two or three pages, were really it. And then the only other two things I wrote down in my notes were that, you know, I think, and I've said this before, that you, you read a whole book sometimes for just one sentence. So I wanted to at least point out two things that I thought were at least noteworthy from the book. You don't want to walk away feeling like uh, nothing was had, you know, I'm just wasting my time. So I wrote a little uh, note here to myself on page 123 that says, this introspection is the best thing the book has to offer. 
And let's read what he said. I'll read as long as I feel like it's interesting. Once I feel like it's not interesting, I'll stop. Even as it formed itself in my mind that absolutely none of my business, nor anybody else's business, unanswerable question, I felt a wave of shameful regret pass through me. I knew the question not really directed at the particular young man with whom I was talking, but compounded of worries, memories, dogging me about myself. So much pain, so many years, so many words, and still pretending that writing permits me to be a ghost, a tourist, no dues to pay, privilege to gawk, gape, handle, grab, fly back home and forget, no consequences as if unforgivable questions, not windows, revealing who I am, as if being a tourist protects and privileges me, allows me to avoid self-examination, here today, gone tomorrow, right? Why confront my own unfitness, my vulnerability, my history, my stories, the terror of an aging body's inevitable obsolescence and failure? So yeah, when he does do the introspection thing, it's good. And most of the essays have some introspection, so there's that. You know, not all negative. And then I had one more note. Oh, yeah. The other thing that he does quite a bit of is waxing poetic about words. So I had one on page 110. Let's see. He says, the word for it, exquisite, though I have no words to tell how unexpected and unique this particular dying piece of vegetable matter, delicate, unerringly complete. No words to tell its story, but I see it, hear it, the stem, leaf, approximately, an inch across when centered in my palm, a green root or handle or cap or flower that once fastened its tomato to a vine, and no words for how perfectly shaped, elegant, exquisite it is. So I shut up, and then he goes on. Um, he has another one later on that's like, uh, what is it about? Um, oh, it's it, it has to do with a suffix and a prefix. <sighs> anyway, it didn't do it for me. I would say that ultimately I didn't enjoy it. I wouldn't recommend it, but you know, maybe it works for other people. I don't know if I'll be reading any more John Edgar Wideman. I know that he's got a famous book that I think deals with him, uh, dealing with his son. But for me, it's very much like listening to free jazz, which actually I, I much rather would listen to free jazz. I guess what I mean is, you know, when most people listen to free jazz and they're like, ah, I don't like this. That's my reading experience was most people's experience listening to free jazz. But enough hate. We're done here. The next book I'm going to read is probably going to be, well, I'm already reading it, so I don't know why I'm saying probably. It's a Walter Mosley book. I don't believe I've done a Walter Mosley book on the podcast, although I'll have to, <laughs> have to check on that to be sure. So I'm going to do that next week. Uh, or in two weeks, excuse me. And then I'm hoping by then I will have a copy of a book called The Delectable Negro, which I thought was very interesting title and subject matter. It's about uh, the United States history with, um, let's say, the use of the black body, the use, overall use of the black body, but more than just uh, obviously, there's the work use. There's also the sexual use. And this book also talks about culinary uses. So I I'm very interested in this book. I need to find a copy on the cheap, uh, which hasn't been possible. But if in two weeks, if by in two weeks I don't have it on the cheap, I will just purchase it outright. But okay. So yeah, that's going to do it for today. 
please check out everything. Check everything out. No, check just me out on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, those are in the, sh- <coughs> the show notes if you want to read some stuff I wrote. Also in the show notes. Um, the music is by The Keep Running. Again, show notes. Rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and, and my personal favorite is Pocket Casts. So please do that. And yeah, if you ever have, by the way, if you, a couple of people have tweeted at me or left a message, if you have a suggestion for a book, or if you yourself are a writer and have a book, please send it my way. Uh, I would love to review your book. And, um, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, if I get like a ton of books sent to me, you know, we'll have to reevaluate how long it'll take and stuff like that. But I've had two people send me books and I've reviewed two out of two. So send me a book and, um, you'll probably get a review. Uh, actually three out of three. I forgot about that. Three people sent me books, three reviews. So there you go. hundred percent bad in a thousand. There it is. I'm going to go eat dinner. You're going to go do whatever you're doing. Hopefully also eating something. And yeah, eat something, read a book. Until next time, stay safe, stay black, and keep reading. There's time enough at last. That's not fair. That's not fair at all. There was time now. There was was all the time I needed. That's not fair. (laughs) That's not fair.